Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. Uh, if you like the show, you can rate it, review it, subscribe to it. We'd really like that. Uh, but also, just tell somebody. Tell people you listen to Lamestream Sports. We know you're out there, people. <laughs> And the audience is growing, which is pretty cool. So uh, we appreciate you guys checking it out and sharing the product to other people because that's how it grows. And we really appreciate it. Uh, Steve Lehman will be our guest on the show today from News Channel 5. The reason I wanted to have him on, Steve, we wanted to have him on is he is a TV expert and he is a Big Ten expert. And we thought, what perfect, what more perfect skill set? And, and, and instead what of a better way to welcome the city of Los Angeles into the Big Ten. <laughs> And to have Steve Lehman join us with a guy from Nashville. So again, Illinois grad, incredibly smart dude and knows a lot about TV and knows a lot about the Big Ten. Uh, really thoughtful conversation. Had a long talk with him about a lot of different things. Uh, and he's great. So we'll hear from him in a second. I'm going to let you explore the studio space here because you have uh, been waging war on a, a on a particular, uh, I guess I should say competitive TV channel to Steve Lehman's, but um, maybe some some reporters as well. So I'll let you do that here coming up. Uh, in just a minute, some housekeeping, though, however, uh, I will be in um, Atlanta for media days next week. So no like normal lamestream podcast. I am efforting a few guests to maybe talk about some media while we're down there. So there might be some different stuff coming up next week uh, or the week after for you guys that, that care about media in the southeast and college football. So we'll we'll have some of that for you guys next week, but no like regular episode on Friday next week. So just want to let everybody know about that. Steve, you deserve the the, the week off, you know, like I think. I think you've earned it. It's a little warm too. So I could use the, uh, you know, a <laughs> little, little hot out there, a little tired. I could use a break to, to be fair. We have never, I don't think in over like 18, 20 months of doing this September of 2020, I'm not sure we've missed a week. I'm we not have sure not. We, I'm not sure we've missed a week. So. I, I think, well, I think we took a, I think we took a holiday week off like around uh, like Christmas, New Year's, but that was it. I think we still taped a, a navel gazing episode of ranking our own episodes. <laughs> so, so, so nothing important. So, <laughs> no, no. so go check that out. Of course, Lamestream Sports is brought to you by Jaspers. Always brought to you by the fine folks on West End at Jaspers, where the parking is free. free. The, the food is exceptional. The game room is also free and exceptional. It's both. The game room is both, uh, and you of course can go there for basically anything you'd ever need. Take your kids after work. Nice sit-down dinner on a date with the spouse or the significant other. Good business lunch. Business lunch, perhaps. Uh, if one ever were to have those, um, you could do that there. It's great. So go check it out. Uh, Jasper's over on West End. Okay, so we'll have some quick recommendations later on, but not a lot of talk. Steve did a gr great job explaining sort of why TV and the Big Ten are doing this. And just he talked about his time as a play-by-play -play guy at Belmont as well. So really interesting conversation with Steve, as usual. But um, other Steve, you... How, how you feeling? I don't about, have to be how, other Steve on my own damn podcast. The the real Steve. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Not how, fake Steve. How are you feeling about local news coverage, um, buddy? All right. I only want to make one point, <laughs> and that point is this: when you make Facebook your assignment editor. Stupid shit creeps onto the airwaves. Mm. So there was a so there was a Facebook post that went viral. It was a couple from Kentucky. The details of it are, I, I mean, let me spread a little misinformation here. Does it hurt your brain? <laughs> she claimed uh, it was a couple. She claimed that she picked up a 
piece of U.S. currency <laughs> that had been used for drug purposes somehow and was laced somehow with fentanyl. Now, just now, to be to be fair, my wife this this story got into my wife's timeline. Just so you know, oh, oh, not, oh no, I got into everybody's. Yeah, timeline. So every, I'm not sure how much explaining you need to do. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, and so she goes to the emergency room, claims this terrible thing. There's photos of it online. It's it's whatever. <laughs> it is passed around so much, and this is what happens. Uh, this is what happens when reputable news organizations spend too much time on social media and let it dictate their editorial choices. What happens is when, when something gets this viral, they go, Oh, this must be a story. Dear reader or dear listener, this is not a story. As a matter of fact, there's a whole line of debunking of this, uh, of, of people who have touched fentanyl, and 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 been sent to the hospital or whatever else. There's a whole line of propaganda, for lack of a better term, uh, that has been debunked. Pick pick any pick in almost any publication uh, of this idea that you can touch fentanyl or that you can be in the room with fentanyl or whatever else because it is so it is so potent it will knock you on your ass. Oh, that, that's morphine. Yeah, that, that is morphine because I just watched people administer morphine. And you have to wear gloves because it can sink into your skin. This is not morphine. So here's the problem with this. Channel 2 reporter, I'm not even going to name her. Channel 2 reporter runs with the story. Uncritically lets these people say that fentanyl is what did it. And it contributes to misinformation uh, around the drug. It's a powerful drug. Fentanyl-laced cocaine is a real problem in Nashville. But holy crap, a woman saying that she that she was like knocked out for four hours and had to go to the emergency room because she picked up a fentanyl laced $20 bill, I think it was, is complete and utter bullshit and should have raised the raised sort of all sorts of red flags. So like <laughs> Channel 2 does this story. Channel 4 does, a, 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 does essentially the same story. Channel Five does the story as well, although their their version of it was more kind of a debunking sort of thing. Like, ah, eh, this is not really, this is not gonna, really a thing. I was going to ask you how what role does media play in debunking viral topics that are? I, I think it. I, I think it's a public service to to, to do that yeah. uh, because if this is it, what what the what the editors at Channel Two should have done is is looked at this and said, "Holy crap! Everybody is sharing this story. Is this real?" As opposed to Holy crap, let's put these people on our air and let them uncritically make these same claims. And then and what happens is, is when the blowback comes, you get these weird stories where the first half of the story is, oh, my God, this ter- this this thing happened. It's unbelievable. And the second half of the story is, yeah, it's kind of unbelievable because nobody really <laughs> thinks it's true. I mean, when when you debunk your own story in the second half of it, that's in- maybe an indication that the first half of it never should have run. <laughs> and it drives me up a wall. The same, this same Channel 2 reporter is the person who uncritically uh, let, a, let a store in West Nashville say, we sold 5,000 sleds t- today uh, when, the, when the snow hit last December. 
I mean, which meant that basically they were selling four sleds a minute. I think it was ten thousand, actually. Yeah, I, it, it, whatever it was. it was, it was some ridiculous number, and then and then they had to go back on that. This is why, <laughs> this is why you have to check facts. <laughs> this is why you have to actually do reporting. I can't, I can't believe checking facts is a thing we need to teach people in, in this world. This is like if I was covering the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Irving says that the world is flat. Uh, the Which, lead- to be fair, Kyrie Irving may say that. The, the, no, he did. He actually did say that. This is why I'm using the story, Steve. Right, right. The, the lead in the story is not, is the world flat? <laughs> Kyrie Irving thinks it is. The lead of the story is, Kyrie Irving is fucking wrong. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. That, that's the lead of the story. Our job is not to, is it raining outside? Our job is not to argue with one side who thinks it is and one side who thinks it isn't. Our job is to open the window and see if it's raining outside. And so, job. so and, and so I, I, here's why out, media outlets do this. TV's more guilty of this than, than, than most. But I mean, you see this in aggregation sites all, all the time. You know, they pick up a claim from social media because they want to capture some of that social media virality. Sure. And, 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 you know, they want those page views. Why? Because they want to sell that. Why? Because we have a digital model that encourages that sort of behavior. I mean, if yep. people weren't trying to pile clicks on top of each other and then monetize that, then maybe these stories wouldn't be so wouldn't be so so many people wouldn't be doing them online. We only pile downloads on top of each other to go sell those. Okay, here at Lamestream, not clicks, exactly downloads. It just you don't even click anything; it just comes right to your phone. Um, all right. So, do you feel better? Do you feel do you feel a little bit better now? Sure. Not really. I mean, I'm a little depressed, still depressed, but you know that's that's. All right. Sort of things as they are today. All right. I can't I cannot believe how many different people I've had to say like, yeah, but it's not a thing. (laughs) No, it is. is, I cannot say this enough. It is not a thing. It's not a real thing. And it it was a thing that was perpetuated by a lot of police departments around the country because they were trying to scare people uh, about uh, about how dangerous fentanyl is, which, by the way, people overdosing all, all over the place. Yes. There's people dead because of fentanyl. You shouldn't have to gild the lily that much yeah. to in order to in order to get people to to believe that it's it's dangerous. The number of times I have to sit with friends or family and we get into discussions about pretty serious stuff, whether it's you know our kids' education or you know whatever, a lot of times it's about our kids. Where I just have to say to them, "But that's not a thing that happens." Right. <laughs> and I don't want to use all the different issues that that I that it applies to, but like it just it's just. It's not a thing that happens. Sort of like passing a bill to honor Elon Musk to buy buying Twitter when it's not a thing that's happening. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, like the amount of things that I can just look at people and say, don't worry about that big guy. It's not a thing that's actually happening. Or um, it's or it's, or, just, it's ridiculous. or, you know, or, you know, maybe screaming about how a a, a story about a 10 year old. Uh, oh, so don't, 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 don't. <laughs> Don't and, I don't have screaming too early in the morning that is, for that screaming crap. that that story is not true when the story is true and is and is reported and then by the way you have to walk it back. Um, anyway, I, I don't I don't I, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. Uh, all right, it's too you early in the coward. morning for that crap. I I don't want to do it. <laughs> What's what am I going to say? What am I going to say, Steve? That the guy's full of shit because he's full of shit. What do you want me to say? <laughs> Are you happy? Are you happy? All right. Steve Lehman is a is not full of the the cow manure. He is a wonderful guy. He's a great newscaster, great Big Ten expert, huge fan of Illinois. 
Um, and, and obviously, uh, and we found out a Chelsea fan as well. We'll discuss that with him as well as uh, TV and, and Big Ten and college athletics. Really smart guy. Here was our conversation with News Channel 5's Steve Lehman. Steve, welcome to the show, man. Great to see you. How, how are things? Good, good to talk to you. Braden, Steve, happy summer. It's good to be with you. <laughs> so a lot of things going on. We've got big Preds news. We'll talk a lot of TV today. We'll talk EPL soccer as you're sporting the Chelsea hat today as well. So we'll talk about uh, how it's hard to root for sports teams uh, when you work in this industry. So we'll get to a lot of stuff. But I want to start. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on, because I know you are a you're, you're a Midwest guy. You're an Illinois grad. You're a Big Ten fan. And I wanted to get your opinion um, as a fan, but also as a media you know, professional about all of the things that have happened in the last few weeks with the Big Ten acquiring USC and UCLA. Like, what does that do to you as a fan? And what does that do to the media covering college football and, and, and sports in the Big Ten? Well, number one, Braden, I was on vacation for like the last 10 days right before we did this podcast. And I thought when I came back, I may have to like get out the flip cards to figure out which teams were in which conference based off of the realignment here lately. Conference realignment is a hard thing to follow. And I was honestly stunned at USC and UCLA just because to me, before digging deeper into it, especially knowing the financial trouble at UCLA, it just seemed like they were such flagship institutions that if anybody was needing to bounce out of the Pac-12, it wouldn't have been them. And the idea that the Big 12 or the Big 10 could just go out to L.A. and essentially offer an invite or say, yeah, we'll take you. We appreciate the brands was a little bit shocking to me that it played out as quickly as it did. But when you dive deeper into it, the Pac-12 is in big time trouble and UCLA athletics are in big time trouble financially. And when you boil it right down, there's two conferences in America that have incredible TV rights and incredible revenue sharing amongst the conference members. And that's the SEC and the Big Ten. And both are going to only get richer as the TV deals come up here in the next few years. I'm not sure you can say the same for any other league. Even the Pac-12, as it stood with USC and UCLA, I don't think was going to get a mega deal where you're talking about $50, $60 million in shares per conference member. That's what you're talking about in the SEC and the Big Ten, and that's the reason why you see those schools leave. And the SEC got Oklahoma and Texas. Those are two major brands, USC, UCLA, two major brands for the Big Ten. And that's the biggest thing I think I see about conference realignment now is it's about the brands. Ten years ago, when we saw the exodus from the Big 12 at that point in time, it was about expanding your footprint for television market purposes I don't think that matters anymore. Now it's all about what's the best brand you can get to put up there. And when you talk about Texas versus Florida or Oklahoma versus Alabama or USC, Michigan, UCLA, Penn State, those are the types of marquee matchups that are sexy to the TV executives right now. And that's why you're seeing these moves made. The question now is what's the next domino to fall? Can these ACC schools get out of their conference deal? and the the fee that it would take to get out of that contract right now faster than 2036 my guess is they're going to be able to figure that out but it may take some time the the precipitating thing for all of this uh, I, and I, by all of this i mean you see usc and ucla leaving seems to be this this pac 10 deal that was that was done a couple of years ago 
and it's it's a it's a this is sort of a fascinating lesson in media market dynamics in that they made a bad deal they made a bad deal that not didn't give them the exposure that they wanted and certainly didn't give them the revenue that they wanted and now they've lost kind of their two biggest uh their two biggest programs and their biggest market i the when we're looking at all of this you, you know the big 10 being able to say you know look we've got los angeles and new york in the same in in the same conference which is big for the for the, for the big 10 brand but is there any sort of do you, do you think there's any sort of way that these media deals don't end up with us having one or two super conferences and that's it or or, or are we just are we just going to see uh, are we just going to see kind of a, a, a devolution in the ACC in the in, you know in what's left of the big of the Big Twelve you know all, all these things just kind of just dwindling down until there's these super deals with with the big with the big networks. I think we're heading towards like three leagues of twenty four, if I had to guess. And so the question now, I think the Pac twelve is done essentially as we know it. And the question is, where do the other Pac-12 schools end up? It sounds like a lot of them may be partnering with the Big 12. I would not be at all surprised if the Big 10 tries to come in and take a few more of those schools. Because ultimately, I think what the Big 10 would love to do is partner USC and UCLA with some of their old rivals in a Pacific division, if you will, of the Big 10. It's just... Uh, from what I understand, it sounds like state legislators in both Oregon and Washington now are trying to pass a law essentially that says that the brands, the Oregon and the Washington, can't leave the other school behind. Whatever they end up doing, they want them to go together, whatever that may be. Whether that passes, whether that could stand, your guess is as good as mine on that. There's going to be a lot of political maneuverings here because that's the thing is this is this is big money now we saw it with the big 12 a few years ago i think it happened way back with the southwestern conference going into the big eight that you start getting these legislatures involved and guys are saying man i went to baylor i don't want baylor to be left on the outside looking in or i went to texas tech they better not get left out and that's what you're going to see here and you can't imagine that a state legislator from that graduate from Oregon state is going to be too keen on the idea of Oregon joining the big 10 and Oregon state, just hoping to maybe get a big 12 bid. So we'll see how that all plays out. But I think you're looking at the rich getting richer and everybody else just getting squeezed to the edge. Well, for those that don't know, when the big 12 was formed in the mid nineties, the reason Baylor got in and TCU didn't was because they were Baylor grads in the legislative house in Texas. That's right. I, I think we're going to see that at in the Vir- state of Virginia, lots of fighting. The state of uh, North Carolina could be lots of fighting. The state of Kansas could be some fighting. So um, I, I'm curious, you, you weren't there in Oklahoma. Obviously you've been in Nashville for a while, but you're very familiar with that market. How much do you think, do you have any idea what took place when Oklahoma left and Oklahoma state was left behind? Because that's the exact same dynamic. Do you have any sense of what happened in the the, the political realm there? I think the interesting thing about that situation, Braden, was that Oklahoma did it so quickly. It was a little bit, if you remember back, like the USC-UCLA thing uh, 10 days ago or whatever it was. It essentially happened in like 12 hours. You know, the first report came out and everybody was like, huh? 
USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. And then it was like eight hours later that UCLA AD said, hey, we're new members of the Big Ten Conference. And people are like, well, that was fast. Well, that's pretty much what happened last summer at the SEC meeting. All of a sudden, there was this report that the SEC may be interested in Oklahoma and Texas. And it was like by the time the meeting was over, it was ratified, done, and they were joining in 2025. And so there wasn't a lot of time within the state of Oklahoma for people to really fight about it. And Oklahoma State fans or administration or legislators at the state level to say, what the heck are we doing here? You can't you can't leave Oklahoma State. What are you doing? It was just over before they had the chance. And that's where I think it gets really interesting in the states you talk about, whether it be Washington or Oregon or Virginia or somewhere in North Carolina, something like that, is you're going to have all these rivals in different states and probably one is going to be better positioned than the other. And the question is, do they want to go and screw their rival or do they care about the rivalry and want to bring them with them? How's that go? I was talking to somebody yesterday back in Big Ten country and they said maybe the greatest advantage the Big Ten has besides the markets and the fan bases and all that is there has been a general partnership for 20 to 30 years within the conference that basically has said, you know, handshake deal under the table or whatever, you're not going to do anything to benefit yourself without benefiting the rest of us. And that partnership has worked great for the league because there's no question that Michigan and Ohio state and Penn state, those are the biggest brands in the big 10, bunch of other good brands, but those are the flagships. They could get the most media money if they wanted to do it. But for right now, at least, it seems they're willing to say what's best for everybody also is good for us. Let's keep the Big Ten brand strong. And that's why they're going to get a billion dollars in this next TV deal. Yeah. So real quickly, are you do you get a sense that Big Ten fans are excited about this and happy about this? Or do you get a sense that it's kind of the same line of thinking that everybody has right now, including some of the decision makers, which is, I don't love this, but it had to be done. I think it's the latter. I think most Big Ten fans, maybe more than any other league in the country, are pretty much traditionalists. They all grew up wanting to go to the Rose Bowl. They wish there was no college football playoff. (laughs) That's kind of how most people in the Big Ten, I think, especially of a certain era, are. So I don't think they're thrilled about the idea of playing, you know, Friday night games at UCLA. That just isn't the tradition that the Big Ten is. But I think they also understand that the world is changing in college athletics, and it's better to be positioned where the Big Ten is or the SEC is than anybody else. And so I think they definitely understand that. And I'm kind of of the belief as I sit here that it may not change things as much as we believe. Yes, ultimately, I think the Big Ten might be headed to 24 teams or something like that. But I think there's a good possibility in a few years that, as I said earlier, we're looking at a Pacific division that is like USC, UCLA, Cal, Stanford, Oregon, and Washington. And you're looking at a, whatever, a Heartland division that is Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin. And you move on out east. Maybe the East Division takes some ACC teams and puts it with Penn State and Rutgers and Maryland. You know, it may look a lot more like we thought divisions looked like in 2003 than what we think this anarchy is going to be in 2030. Do you think, and and simply because, I mean, a lot of this is a reaction to the SEC. So 
say we get to say we get to three super conferences or, or whatever it ends up looking like, it, it's essentially the SEC against the world, and, and for media for media dollars for kind of viewership for kind of whatever. Do you think that's a good thing? <laughs> no, I think in general it'd be better if we had parity throughout college sports, and that other than Clemson and maybe Ohio State, you felt like there was a chance anyone else in college football other than an SEC team could win the national championship at the end of the day. I think that would be better. I think that you could say the same, certainly for the college world series and maybe SEC teams in the women's college world series. I know Oklahoma's dominated, frankly, as a program, but now they're going to join the SEC as well. So I think parity is always good for the sport, but there's something about the brands of the SEC and they just care more. And ultimately that's where you get down to the bottom line of the dollars and cents in this is that it means more in the SEC. And that's why they're getting Oklahoma and Texas to come. And that's why they're going to get the mega TV deal. And it means more in the big 10, maybe not quite as much as the SEC. Maybe they're still stuck on the academic brands a little bit more and things like that, but you're still talking about big time media markets with the biggest universities in the country that are public anyway, and the biggest alumni bases. And they're all saying, you know, we, we love our college football Saturdays and we love big 10 basketball on a Wednesday night or a Saturday afternoon in the winter. And they're the people who are turning on the TV, unlike Northeast ACC schools or Heartland big 12 schools or West coast pack 12 schools. And that's why you're seeing this happen. I am looking forward to Big Ten after dark, uh, late nights well, on uh, late late nights uh, on uh, on Steve, you know, Fox I w- Sports too. I will not say Illinois. I will say this is the only way Indiana gets to play in the Rose Bowl. Like this is <laughs> <laughs> this, this is I, the joy. This is the joy for the Hoosiers fans out there. So. I'm glad you avoided Illinois because I feel like I have a really sorrowful story when it comes to Illinois and Rose Bowl years if you'll indulge me for a moment 2007 baby you guys get to go so (laughs) well right but so 1984 january 1st 1984 illinois is in the rose bowl my mom's pregnant with me so my whole family doesn't go to illinois in the rose bowl in 1984 (laughs) because of me wow we don't get back that's a that's a lot to hang on a kid i i know exactly so we don't get back to winning a Big Ten title until 2002, which is my senior year of high school. Kirk Illinois Kitt- wins Kirk, the, Kirk the Big Kittner, Ten. Right? It's a great, yeah, Kirk Kittner, Brandon yeah. Lloyd, Walter yeah. Young, those guys, really good team. Ron Turner, head coach, win the Big Ten, but that's the year that the Rose Bowl is the national championship yep. game. Yep. And so Illinois gets sent to the Sugar Bowl. Not a bad trip when you're an 18-year-old kid, but not the Rose Bowl I grew up going, wanting to go to. So you get that taken away from you. And then 2007, my childhood best friend, Jay Lehman, no relation, All-American linebacker for Illinois, they go to the Rose Bowl the year after I graduate. I'm in Oklahoma working, and Oklahoma's playing in the Fiesta Bowl 30 minutes after the Rose Bowl ends. So then all my family's at the Rose Bowl, and I'm in Glendale, Arizona, waiting for Oklahoma to play West Virginia. So I feel like my entire life is just a story about missing out on the Rose Bowl. So it would be nothing new for me. Well, no, now you're guaranteed at least once every 14 years to be playing on the road against UCLA. (laughs) And it's... And it's great for it's great for the fans. I, I do part of the reason I wanted you to have you on is not just because you're a, a Big Ten expert, but also 
you're a TV expert. And I'm curious about the cal- the economic calculations of all of this. Like if you start to eliminate big chunks of the country, it, like is there a point of, of diminishing returns or a tipping point where you've over consolidated into like just two little regions and two groups of fans that that all of a sudden the sport can no longer grow and can no longer handle the, the, the money that television is trying to throw at these conferences? Does that economics question make sense? It makes sense. I'm not sure if it's what's ultimately going to happen here, though, because it's a bit like if you're Major League Baseball and you had the choice to put on a different game nationally every night all season long, or you could put Yankees Red Sox on every night for 162 days, which would give you better ratings. I think the answer is Red Sox Yankees. Uh, you know, maybe you'd get bored at some point, but for the most part, if they could play that game 50 times a year on national TV, they choose to do it because they just get better ratings for that. And I think it's the same thing here. I mean, USC Michigan is going to get better ratings in the big 10 than any other thing you could come up with. And same thing for Alabama, Texas in the SEC. And so if you continue to evolve with the brands, the games are only going to get better and you're just going to fill more time slots with better games. I think there's questions about how they schedule this stuff to your point. So Illinois doesn't only play UCLA once a generation, you know, how do you get it? So a kid plays every team in their conference in the span of four years, depending on how big the league grows up. I think there's real questions about that, but I think what you're seeing here, and this is what is so different than a decade ago, is a decade ago it was simply just about expanding your footprint. How do you get a bigger TV market? How do you add a different state to your region? How do you take a Big Ten conference that's eight states and make it 11? Because now you're going to get 350 in 11 states on your cable package as opposed to 350 in eight states and then seven cents in every other state in America. Well, now it's all about not the cable bundling, because I don't think people are doing that very much anymore, and it's only going to get less and less. Now it's truly about the brand. What can you give people in a primetime matchup? How many different windows of quality entertainment can you give them throughout the course of the week? And I think these conferences understand that adding a Texas and an Oklahoma or a UCLA, USC, or a Clemson and a Florida State, whatever the next team might be, that brand is what is going to sell in a cable rights deal or maybe a pay-per-view deal down the road. I don't totally know where it's going to go from a consumer standpoint. I mean, are we going to get to a place where we end up just paying per game, almost like a ticket to go where it's like, I'm really interested in Alabama, Auburn, and the Iron Bowl. I'm going to pay $4.95 for this game this afternoon. Do we get to that place? Are you still going to be able to have all the games on the – I don't know what it's going to look like in 10 years, but I do know the brand and the matchup is going to be what drives the sales and the revenue. This is how we get promotion and relegation in college football. And, uh, and if, and if that happens, God bless you, Vanderbilt. It's been (laughs) fun. Well, and that goes back to my point about the big 10 Steve from earlier is, you know, if you look at it right now, there's definitely powers that are and powers that want to be within the big 10. And, I'll throw Illinois in that. We haven't been very good in football for a long time. So if you wanted to talk about a relegation system, Illinois is right there with, uh, you know, maybe Minnesota of a few years ago or Purdue of a few years ago or Rutgers right now, where just you haven't been very good. And what do you really bring to the football brand at the moment where Michigan and 
Ohio State and Penn State and Wisconsin and Iowa, they've been the ones that have been dominant. You can do the same thing with the SEC teams at the top or the Vanderbilts and maybe now the Missouris that are closer to the bottom, South Carolina closer to the bottom in the conference. The thing is, though, that the Big Ten for the longest period of time has basically held hands together and said, look, Ohio State may be the bell cow and Northwestern may be the team at the bottom of the league, but we're all doing this together and moving forward and it will be good for everyone. And that that's the major question here is if they get to 24 teams and maybe half the league wasn't there 30 years ago, do they continue to take that approach or is there going to be a chance for, I don't know, a Boise State out there to play up and play well for so long that somehow they might be able to squeak their way into one of these leagues and maybe a team that stinks for a long time does get relegated. It's a it's a fascinating question, but at least till now, it seems like the power conferences are pretty lockstep in doing this together. Well, we, we are all soccer fans and we all think, and for some reason, college football media has been obsessed with relegation for a long time, just as like a concept. But I, I, what I what I understand is that it is illegal to kick a team out of a conference right now. There's no legal path to do that. So right. it's fun to talk about. Um, I don't think it'll ever happen. You can I, just I want, not schedule them. <laughs> I, I want you to put your your first of all, I do think there's a cultural brand identity inside the Big Ten that where like the student part of student athletes still matters a whole lot more than than it does in the SEC. And that's sort of there. That's the difference between the two conferences o- outside of the football playing success, let's say the cultural brand identities are, are a little different between those two conferences. And that feels like what the, the country is polarized around now. It's not like, sure, you could call it North South if you wanted to, but really it's more like we still care about the, the, the biochem lab and, you know, the professors are going to work together at USC and at Michigan. And like, there's, there's more there than just football for the big 10, put your TV hat on. And is there another way to counter program like the charm of the game that people feel like we're losing with the big 10 and the sec consolidating. Is there a way for like the big 12 and the remaining pac 12 schools to like go to CBS, take that nine 30 PM TV slot on the East coast and like counter program the way a podcast sort of counter programs like network television, for example, like, is that, can, can you do that and say, look, if you want the charm of college football that you recognize from your childhood, come watch us at 10 PM on CBS or whatever. Well, are those leagues going to like stop giving out scholarships and not do NIL deals and all that stuff too? Because I mean, that's the thing. When you really talk about the charm of college football, I feel like you're talking about get off my lawn guy that is saying, (laughs) I hate this NIL stuff. I hate the transfer portal. Give me my grandfather's college football where there's like four games on Saturday and you just get to watch it for the love of the game kind of thing. And then at the end of the year, we'll all play in these exhibition bowl games where the players get their swag and we forget about how much money the bowl executives are making. I think that's what those people really mean by that. And no, I don't think that's the case. I mean, will the big 12 be able to find a CBS college sports network deal where they can play at 8.30 and go opposite the primetime game on ABC or CBS that goes from the SEC and the Big Ten? Yeah, probably. They'll probably still find that space. I think Oklahoma State, Colorado is still an intriguing game to a fair amount of college football fans out there. But let's be real, Oklahoma State, Colorado isn't going to get nearly the same dollar on the open market as USC, Michigan, or Alabama, Oklahoma. No, I, I agree with you. And I'm, I'm kind of putting myself into that group and I'm not one of the guys that has a problem with NIL or any of that stuff. I'm just sort of thinking like, 
part of the reason I loved college football was I grew up a, a Big Ten fan like you and just watching like Wisconsin, Iowa, sort of at, at 11 a.m. Central time when, when, it, when it didn't matter, like when they were four and four or whatever, like BYU and it mattered to them. BYU, Utah, for example, is a is something that like to me speaks to me as like a college football diehard as yep. like the charm of the game. And I'm just uh, again, counterculture is can be very successful from a marketing strategy standpoint, being counterculture. If you're Nashville SC, if you're the Predators for a while there, like you can kind of counterculture and carve out a marketing spot for yourself. And I'm just, I don't know, I'm just trying to find a way to, how do I get to still watch Oregon State and Washington State and enjoy, you know, 160 kids still quote unquote playing for the love of the game? Does that make sense? It does. I think you're still going to get that. I mean, you're still going to get Wisconsin, Iowa at 11 a.m. or Oregon State, Washington State at 11:30 p.m. I think <laughs> right. that's still going to happen. You're going to have all these trophy games. I think the most interesting thing again goes back to scheduling here. If you ultimately get to 24 teams in a league, do you split it up in divisions of like eight yeah. or six as you go through, and you you play every team in your division every year, and then you play six other teams every year and then maybe you have one spot for a rivalry game and so like if Virginia and Virginia Tech get split up they still play the Commonwealth Cup every year but then it's 11 SEC games or ACC games or whatever it is or do you end up just not playing two-thirds of your conference every year that's going to be a really interesting thing because monetarily it's going to be better off for these leagues to play more conference games and to, yeah. to increase the revenue or the, the inventory they have to make revenue in a deal. But then if that happens, do we scrap the bowl game criteria altogether? And so, you know, you can make a bowl game at three and nine because you've played 11 games within your, your league and people would rather have three and nine Illinois or Indiana in a game than they want six and six Kansas State or West Virginia. You know, that's the stuff I have no idea how it's going to play itself out. And I think ultimately the playoffs going to expand and the regular season is going to have more games that lead into the playoff and, and all of that. But you're still going to get it. The one that really makes me think about your question is when you get to basketball or you get to baseball or any of these other sports, and I don't know how many people care about that. That's certainly not where the money's driving this thing. But like a Thursday night Rutgers UCLA basketball game is not nearly as sexy as that USC Michigan primetime Saturday night football game we were talking about. And so does anybody care there? And at what point are the leagues like, why did we just send the Rutgers lacrosse team to Los Angeles on a charter flight so they can get back to school for Friday morning classes or something like that? That's insane. Why did we do that? And so I, I just wonder if they're going to do that. I've heard from some people that for non-revenue sports, they may not even schedule within the conference. It may just be like, you guys can just all do your own schedules, figure it out, and we'll come, come together at the end of the year and play a conference tournament. And that may be where all the tradition gets lost. But as you know, as well as I do, guys, they're not making this decision about field hockey yeah. or women's gymnastics or softball or baseball. This is all about the revenue you make from football. Well, the other the other piece of this too is if you go to like this kind of super conference setup, you're almost you're almost to a playoff system within the conference in order to if, if there's a if there's a limitation on so say it's four six eight 
teams in, in, in the, in the master playoff. I mean, you're going to want to have a, a breakdown to get a conference champion before that. And that that's likely going to, you're, you're likely going to need an extra set, an extra game or two in there. And so we're looking at now what 15 games for, for some of these kids, which, which to yeah. me seems insane, but I'm, I'm going to watch it all. And God knows they're going to sell commercials for it. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Lamestream Sports is a podcast about national sports media and business, and it is, in fact, brought to you by Jaspers, Jaspers, Jaspers. If you say Jaspers' names three times, does the dog just show up at your I house? mean, yeah. I'm, it's like Beetlejuice. Michael, your Michael Keaton's going to be going to be behind me now with some flatbreads. Do you have to click your heels together yeah. <laughs> when you do it as well? Um, no, go to Jaspers. The food, like, again... I, I, we say this all the time. We said at the beginning of the show about the versatility, like the five tool athlete, five tool player that, that Jasper's really is like, you can go for the nice dinner. You can go for the afternoon happy hour. You can go for the business lunch. You can go with the kids. You can go for brunch. Like there's a, you can use the, there's a game room. There's the, the grab and go market. Like they really can do all of that stuff. Um, but they do it all really, really well. And like eat the menu works out Steve. So where if you're there with a bunch of guys or a bunch of friends doing like a happy hour thing, they've got like some of the best shareables that you'll ever find at a bar that also has a free air hockey table. If you're going to go sit down for dinner, they've got a real chef's menu there for like an actual nice dinner. The food hits very, the entrees are exceptional. And if you're there for a lunch and you just want like a light salad or whatever, they got the shrimp and goodies. They got the pot sticker salad. Like they have, a, they have done their menu in such a way that it caters to the, all the different types of events that they want to have there. It's great. It's almost like it was intentional, Steve. Like they thought this would be a good idea. It's what you would expect from the next evolution of the sports bar. <laughs> it, it, that's that is true. I can't argue with that, Steve Cavendish of the National Banner. These are all inarguable facts. 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 <laughs> that have wait. Have they been checked though? They've been have, verified. They've, they've the the barbecue pork barbecue pulled pork sweet potato fries is in fact a delicious food item. We have verified that verified. many times over. Many times over. Yes, I, I keep I, checking it. <laughs> just to make sure. Yeah, just to make sure. You don't want to. You don't want to be wrong about this. I keep going back to make sure. So, so you back in your newspaper days, and me with Athlon in the print days. Like I don't think people realize that there's like nine layers of fact checking. Like where you edit every letter of every story that gets that's going to be printed and published, especially in a, in an annual magazine. But that's literally what we're doing here with with like the barbecue sweet potato fries and the the Mexican street corn pizza and the shrimp and goodies. Like I have verified this so many times now. That I feel comfortable saying that the food is spectacular. I, I feel comfortable with that. Like that's a fact. It's not an opinion. It's the food is great. I I I can't dispute this. Now, what Steve does to his burgers, take that up with him on Twitter at, at S Cavendish. He's it's it's I just feel like you're missing opportunities when you eat burgers. But we've had this conversation before, so I'm I'm screaming into the void. So I won't I won't do it anymore. I don't like adding water to my burger. That's all I'm gonna say. He doesn't like pickles. He doesn't like tomatoes. He doesn't like lettuce. He doesn't like. That's not true. I don't. I, 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 tomatoes are fine. I don't prefer them, but tomatoes are fine. Lettuce, bullshit. Spinach, lettuce is bullshit on a burger. Spinach is not water. Spinach is very good for you. Just it's saying. water. It's not water. It's spinach water, is... and it adds no flavor. Have you never watched Popeye? Come on, dude. Like spinach makes you stronger. Stop. At least that's what I tell my kids. Uh, stop. You spinach have to. Delicious. These are lies you have to tell your five and, five, oh, come five on. and three year olds. Spinach is good stop. for you. Put some spinach on a burger, Steve. It'll make you feel better. I promise. Go to Jasper's, go, everybody. Go to Jasper's. 
So uh, I was asked that we did a media mailbag uh, last week on the on the show. And if everybody missed that, go, go check that out. But I was asked somebody like after they listened to it, they asked me, they said, how petty is all the media in Nashville in general? And my 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 first response was the TV folks are really cordial with each other. They're all really good friends. They get along great. And I don't know if that's because y'all all make all the best money. Like, I don't, I don't know. Why is it that TV? Do you agree? I feel like from like the blogs, the writing, you know, the radio guys are real petty. I, I feel like it, it's the TV folk that seem to get along the best of anybody in this city. That's a great question. And I'm not sure I have a good answer for it. I think we are. Um I feel like there's a fair amount of new blood in the TV. And I guess I'm aging myself a little bit by saying that I've been here for 12 years and I'm the second longest tenured person behind Corey in the market in TV. And so I think there's a little bit less animosity the newer you are into the market because it's like, who are you going to come in and like elbow out of the way necessarily? It's a little bit more difficult to do that where I feel like a lot of the radio folks have been in there, have had their foot in it in some way, somehow for some time. And that's probably too true in some of the writing situations as well. And maybe personalities of radio too. It's just, I don't necessarily have to be combative every night at three <laughs> minutes at 10 o'clock. In fact, I'd probably appreciate it if I'm not where on the radio, you got four hours to fill yeah. or three hours to fill. You better be combative at some point, whether it be with a caller or a host of another show on your station or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, for the most part, this is still the South too, you know, like it, yeah. it's a little bit more cutthroat in Chicago and New York city and Philadelphia, even in the TV business, just because I think that's the personality of those places. For the most part, we're all down here and we're pretty welcoming and want to grab a beer with the next person, whether they're on TV or radio or in print or just a random Joe on the street who likes sports just because that's kind of the nature of who we are down there. How, how different is the market 12 years later from a, like being nice to our subjects standpoint, like, like being a little bit more critical and a little bit more like one of those bigger markets in the North. Like, have we evolved a little bit in your 12 years or are we still kind of Southern charm, welcoming Nashville? Like, let's take it easy. Cause I know there's been a lot of talk about how we cover our teams. And I think most people, would prefer the media in this town to be a little bit tougher on the subject matter. It, I don't think Taylor Lewan, for example, realizes that this is a super easy place to play football. So right. I, how has it evolved in your opinion over 12 years? I think it's both sides of your question. I think we're still a little bit of Southern charm and easy going on people, but at the same time, I think it has gotten tougher. I think there's just more voices in the room. Like there are more people writing about the Titans and the predators today than there were 12 years ago when I first got here and just having more people in the room means you get more questions. It means the thing is a little bit more difficult on them because they get it from more angles. I think about the Jeffrey Simmons press conference at the end. I mean, he got asked about that contract situation probably 11 different ways by 11 different people. And it was difficult on him. And I, I, I blame the Titans, frankly. I don't think they prepared him very well for that situation. And he kind of got hit by a bus walking out there and having to deal with all that. I think he thought he could sort of make an initial statement and then people would just want to ask him about how he's been training all summer or what his diet's like. And that's not how it works. People are going to keep going after the questions. And they may not ask it in the way a New York radio jockey would. 
but they're going to keep asking the question. And so I think it's gotten more difficult at this point. I don't think we miss many questions as a media group here. Like, yeah. I don't think as a fan, you're not getting what you want because we're too nice. We just maybe don't go about it in the same abrasive way that a Northeast radio show might go about. I want to ask you, uh, I want to ask you about the hat you're wearing uh, and, and some fandom here. Uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, he's wearing a Chelsea football hat. We're not going to talk about his terrible choice in, in, in premiership clubs, but I do want to, I do want to ask you, how'd you end up being a, a Chelsea fan? And I think there's a really interesting thing about sports, uh, about sports casting and, and sports writers that I'm going to follow up with that. Well, yeah, I went to, you know, uh, 10, 11, 12 years ago. I mean, it was about the time I moved to Nashville. I just started thinking, you work so much at this and you're around teams all the time. It's really difficult to be emotionally invested in the teams you cover because, especially from a TV perspective, you know, like if the Titans play Monday night football or something, and I'm emotionally invested in what's going on, it is very likely that they lose on a last second field goal. And I have to be on the air four minutes later. And you just can't function if you're <laughs> going to cry about the result or something. I mean, legitimately, the loss to the Bengals, McPherson hits that field goal. I have to do an hour postgame show on the field talking about every angle of that game and we went on, you know, it was on CBS. So however long they took to wrap it up, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it was, I had that long to have everything ready for the show, communicate back to the station and then be ready to go and fill time for an hour and be traffic cop for everything we were doing post game. And you just can't function like that if you're truly emotionally invested in every play the way a typical fan is. And so whatever it was a decade, 12 years ago, I kind of said, I want a team out there that I'm never going to cover because you're I'm because never going to be, you're still a sports fan. And and that's one of the things yes. that animates yeah. right. you and everybody else who, who got into the business is you love sports. Yes. And, and so that you wanted that emotional connection, right? Well, yeah. And I mean, look, I love the drama. Like I appreciated every second of the Bengals Titans playoff game. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I sat there like without any life in me and was just like, oh, let me do my job when the game ends. I, I was enthralled with what was happening. I just can't allow myself to get to a place where it like ruins my next week because I wouldn't be able to function five minutes later. That's where I was like, I need somebody that I'm never going to cover that I won't have because even like Illinois I'm very emotionally invested in Illinois, Illinois but I can't tell you how many Illinois football games or Illinois basketball games I've missed at least live in the last 15 years because my job has required me to be working on something else while they were playing and so I thought you know I want a Premier League team where most of their games are at like 7 or 9 a.m on the weekend and I can wake up they're on TV in the States. I can find them and I can watch them. And by and the so way, great coverage. I mean, you can follow yeah. you Absolutely. can follow your team every week almost on TV. Which well, is that's why I, that's why I picked the Premier League over like La Liga or something, just because they have a better coverage deal. 
And so I looked at it and I said, all right, well, I definitely can't do Man U. And Man City had just won the title. And I said, I can't do them because that would be hopping on the bandwagon. And so I just started doing the research. But I also wasn't going to do like Burnley or somebody like that where I might get relegated the next year. Strong move. And not, right, and not be able to find them. The whole point was being able to have a team that I could watch every weekend. And so it just came down to Chelsea because it was like, all right, they've had some success, but not necessarily in the last few years, and I'm going in. Well, as soon as I picked them, they ran off the greatest season in Premier League history. And then they, you know, like won a Europa League and another Premier League and a Champions League and all that sort of stuff. They've been in a bunch of finals so I really do kind of feel like a bandwagon fan, but I promise I didn't pick them after a championship or anything <laughs> like that. It was total happenstance. I picked them. They hired Jose Mourinho. They had a great run of success, and it's fairly much continued here. But hopefully it does under new American ownership. And, that would be good. And, and, and now they have the greatest American soccer talent in the history of, of our country, which is why I have jumped on the Chelsea bandwagon. Yeah, they need to play them more. Fuck both yeah, of that's you, true. first of all. But uh, – <laughs> <laughs> but 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 there's but there's an interesting kind of point here, which is it's almost anathema to at least in American journalism to be the fan of the thing that you're covering, and that's not the case, for instance, in England. Uh, you know where it's it's interesting uh, if you're a subscriber to the Athletic and you're and you're uh, um, and you taken their premier league coverage it's really good because they've hired a lot of great writers but a lot of those guys are like very out front with their fandom and they say you know you know i'm covering i'm covering the league or i'm covering menu but i was a menu supporter from birth um but it doesn't seem to color what the, it doesn't seem to color their job it doesn't stop them from doing their job and, and i and i i guess i wonder is that american sort of thing that would that we do about not about not being, you know, not no cheering in the press box, no, no, whatever, you know, to, to keep it, keep it between the lines here when you're covering somebody. Is that a, a legit thing or not? Should we be, should we care about it? I mean, it's not like, for instance, if you're, if you're covering something in politics, for instance, and you're slanting the coverage one way or the other because you're a fan of a candidate or you're a fan of a policy or something like that, that might make a difference. But I mean, you know, if you're if you're a little heavy on the on on the Derrick Henry love, or or you're a little harsh on the you know criticism of Ryan Tannehill, does does that is that going to color you know people's people's view of the team? That's a fascinating question, Steve. And I feel like I wish we had a journalism historian here because I I have a couple questions that come back to that. Is number one. If I'm not mistaken, I think that the tabloid culture originally started in the UK. Whatever you think about tabloids in the yeah. US, they are a direct oh, yeah. result of what had previously happened in the UK. So I think there's always been a level of sensationalism that maybe goes a stretch beyond just fact that has always been a part of the media over there. And we could so toss, us, we could toss Australia in there too, maybe just a bit. Yeah, sure. Uh, but I mean, I think it's a fundamental. And so then the second question is, is that a part of the freedom of the press in the U.S. Mm. that maybe actually brings you in line a little bit? Is we expect our press because of the rights we've given them to be above board? And I, I think, unfortunately, that's going downhill in terms of public trust at the moment. But initially, 
the freedom of the press was to truly be the ultimate fact seekers, finders, and relayers to the public. And therefore, the public should have the ultimate trust that whatever you're hearing about the subject they're covering, these people need the right to be able to give it to you because it's going to be great. And I just wonder, and again, a historian would be able to lay that out for you better, but I wonder if it's kind of the sensationalism of history on one side over there where they've always kind of played a little bit loosely with this rule. And then in the U.S., we kind of have at least historically held our press at a high standard that they're going to be the people who shed light to the public on whatever's happening. Well, I think there's so this this could be like a whole nother hour long conversation because I think there's two major factors like there there has been a concerted intentional effort to destroy the credibility of the free press for decades now by certain folks. And then the other thing is, I don't think fans want to be upset anymore. Like, I, I think fans and I think this is a major problem in college football in particular, like I like Clemson, Tennessee, LSU, like I could name a few fan bases in particular in the southeast where if you write something negative, even if it's objective and even if it's honest and even if it's truthful, that like, that's just not going to play with them. They don't want to be upset. They don't, don't say anything that might disrupt my experience as a Tennessee fan or a Clemson fan or an Ellis Florida, the, the Gators press corps has got some really good folks in it, but it's also pretty sensitive. And I don't know when that happened. I think maybe that's tied to technological evolution, right? Like where opinion is more important and engagement and enragement is more important. I, I don't know. You are not a diehard tight. You didn't grow up a Titans fan. I still think you were a professional enough to cover Illinois. If you covered Illinois football every day, you probably wouldn't want to. <laughs> but, I did when I was in college. That's right. how I learned. Honestly. But like, yeah. I, I wouldn't, I would trust your opinion on even something you are emotionally invested in because I think you're a professional. And I think that is, I don't know. If, I, I wonder if it's just like case by case basis where certain fan bases want it. Certain fan bases don't going back to the Northeast. The Northeast folks, they want you to be hard on them. Like they, they want it to be difficult. They want the truth. They're not scared of the negativity, I guess, maybe. Well, they're not scared of it, but I'm not sure they even want it necessarily. Like maybe if they hate <laughs> Zach Wilson's on my mind for different reasons this morning, but like if they hate his game, they want the press to go after it for that. Yeah, but if true. it's in the middle of summer, like they don't want you hating on Zach Wilson right now. Yeah. Because he's their guy. So I don't think any fan necessarily wants it. But yeah, and I don't mean I don't and I don't mean unfair like hate, like I don't mean it like that. I just mean like telling an, an accurate story of what took place that happens to maybe not jive with their perfect vision of their their product or whatever. I think yeah, I think that's just case by case basis, if I'm being honest, Braden. Yeah. I think there's some fans out there who totally get I think of a lot of maybe columns I write, and I think it's you know, pretty down the middle of like, this is just what happened. And it's hard to, hard to say anything other than maybe Ryan Tannehill wasn't very good in the game that the Titans just lost in the playoffs, but you'll find some people that are like, well, they only got there because of Tannehill, you know, this season or something. And it's like, well, that wasn't really the point of it, but if you want to, so, I mean, some people just want to hate and they want to argue everything and other people will look at it and say, that is exactly what it is. And then other people will run with it and be like, see, Ryan Tannehill should never have been the quarterback here. He wasn't even good two years ago because look at that game. It's proof he's always stuck. And (laughs) you'll just always find those people out there. And I think that's part of it. I hope from my perspective, and I hope the people I cover honestly know this. 
I don't view sports as life and death. So I view it as, I think Mike Vrabel is a great coach. And I'm going to tell you that. I think he's a great coach. I think there's also been some times, the one that sticks out most to me, is when they were dominating the second half his first year in London, and he goes for two on the final play of the game against the Chargers. I think that was one of the most boneheaded decisions by a coach I've ever seen in my life. And I said it at the time because they were clearly the better team and they were going to win if that game went to overtime, barring just the flukiest of fluke plays. And he chose instead after a timeout of like a review and everything that allowed the defense to get set to go out and run one play to decide the game. And I just, I thought it was a terrible decision. And he made a few other decisions kind of like that in his rookie season as a head coach that were too aggressive at the time. And I think thankfully he's, he's kind of reeled it back in from them, but I think he's a great coach. I think that was a bad decision. And I hope that he and everybody else that I ever cover understand that I can even like you individually or think you're really good, but yet still criticize you for whatever. And if you want to criticize me back and say that the article I wrote or my intro on TV stuff, like I'm fair game for that too. That's totally fine. But I, I don't think everything has to be black and white. It's not like Mike Vrabel's always awful or he's the greatest coach of all time and can do no wrong. There's nuance that's allowed to be in there. And I think we're all allowed to those opinions. <laughs> but those don't get clicks, Steve. Those those nuanced opinions don't get clicks. No, I think it's not. I think it's about not being personal. If it's not personal, that like, I think that's always been my benchmark with my coverage of people. It's like, I, I don't think that you were bad on the power play last night because you're an awful human. I just thought, I just, I thought you had a bad game. <laughs> like as long as it's not personal, I think that's the line that I've always drawn. I don't know where you guys stand. The, uh, I want to, I want to hop in and, and ask pivot just a little bit here because you did a lot of play by play last year uh, for Belmont uh, on, yeah, I guess most of those games were on ESPN plus. Yep. Uh, what was the experience like for you? Did you like it? And, uh, and I've, what was it like working with Greg Sage? <laughs> First off, the second part's easy. He's he's the man. I love working with him. He's one of the best, maybe the best sports information director I've ever been around, honestly. He is so good at providing insights and not just the typical like notes and tidbits that you need either as an announcer or as a local media member trying to cover the school. But he's incredible. And I've told the athletic director at Belmont, Scott Corley, and it's not just because I work with Greg. Belmont gets coverage simply because of Greg on certain things, because he's so aggressive about what he does. And he understands, like, in the middle of the Titans playoffs, we may be so wall to wall in what we're doing there that we may not be able to get over to a Belmont basketball practice or to cover the Belmont women's basketball player who just scored 65 last night or, you know, whatever story they might get, but he understands part of his job is to be the spokesperson for them. And so he goes and gets the girl who just scored 65 and asks her a couple questions and then sends it to us and says, it's there. If you need it, run it, if you can. And guess what? Now all of a sudden I've got 25 seconds. I need to fill in my show and I've got a soundbite sitting there from this girl who just had this amazing performance that we otherwise weren't at or probably wouldn't be able to catch up with, but it's there because he did it. And I think that's a lesson that, frankly, sports information people around the country should learn from, is part of your job is make it easy on the media covering you because we continue to be more strapped with time and resources 
and where our photogs can be and how many photogs we have. And so if you can get us actual content without us having to drive 30 minutes or, or to cover this specific game at this specific time or whatever, that is monumental for the chances yeah. of you getting on the air or in the newspaper, all that. So Greg's amazing. He's also awesome to work with because he's totally emotionally invested. <laughs> so what you get is real honest feedback of, oh, or yes, you know, you get that on the radio. And I yeah. think called a Homer broadcast or whatever, but we work for Belmont. Well, you know? but, so, but the, the, the thing that amazes me about, uh, about Sage is that, He's really good at at the color part of it. Oh yeah, it, it's not. I mean, and you see these setups a lot where where you'll have a broadcaster paired with an SID on 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 these on, on these broadcasts, and he's he is so much better than just the Homer the, the Homer SID. He's legitimately good at the at the color commentary part of it. In a in a way that they should never ever expect that. Well, he's a he's he's a, he's a, he's a Syracuse. <laughs> a isn't he a Syracuse broadcaster? Like, isn't he like like his background is in media, right? Like, he's not a. Yeah, no, he started in media, and he. I mean, he's totally capable of doing play by play when I'm not there, or when right. Kevin Ingram in the past hasn't been there. He's had to fill in and do like tournaments in the Virgin Islands or whatever it may be. And he, he pops oh, right in and does oh, that. Oh, shucks. <laughs> yeah, tough trip. But, I mean, you're doing Brutal. three games in three days. That takes a level of preparation that you have to go through and do. And you're the only person on the broadcast at that point. You know, I, I got put into a situation last year on a snow day where I, I had to do the women's game against, I think it was Southeast Missouri. And I had, like, two hours notice on it. And so, basically, all I had is two rosters in front of me and – Greg had to be the official talk about a man of all hats. He had to go down and be the official scorer at the scores table for the game, because that's how few people could show up. And so, but I, for the broadcasting perspective, I had to do both games by myself, just sitting up there with no one else to play off of, including one game of which I really didn't know much about either team, but certainly one team at all. Like I'd never heard of any of the players <laughs> on the SEMO women's team going in and you just have to cut fill for two hours yeah. doing that. And so, I mean, he's incredibly talented. He's incredibly good. And back to your original question, Steve, for me, nine-year-old me wanted to be in sports broadcasting and wanted to be a play-by-play. -play. And my career's just taken me in the direction it's had, but to have the opportunity last year to get back into doing play-by-play on a regular basis was really awesome. It was so fun to be back courtside at games and being a part of the action. I don't know if anything really quite compares from a media perspective of having the chance to do that. I mean, what I do normally is great, but actually being able to document the action is pretty special. And then the other part for it, it was a cool challenge because all of my play-by-play -play background was on the radio side of it. And so to do these ESPN3 broadcasts, which are TV broadcasts, they're linear broadcasts, and to kind of learn how to do that and stay out a little bit more and say a little bit less and maybe not describe every little action like you do on the radio, it was a really neat challenge for me that you don't often get when you're 20 years into a career. And, and, and I will say this, too. Part of what makes Greg all, all those things is how genuine it all is. It's very authentic. It's very genuine. He is one of the nicest human beings you'll ever work with. And, and he goes out of his way to, to do things for folks that he doesn't have to do, that other SIDs would never even think about doing to help people in this market. 
Um, and again, I, I think that's a, a huge testament to who he is. Now, I correct me if I'm wrong, but don't didn't your your news job and your play by play job weren't there some moments where you're like rushing across town to like get from point A to point? Like, how close were you to ever missing one or one of the other broadcasts? Fortunately, I was never that close, but I definitely did a lot of news channel five early shows a couple times i think i even taped it like 30 minutes before it happened so you know it was just a block it wasn't anything different than what i've normally done but instead of me actually physically being in the studio it was on tape from 30 minutes earlier and i you know would run over and walk into belmont 15 minutes before tip-off <laughs> and then rush back at like 9 15 and put together a show for 10 Probably the closest one or the scariest one was early in the season. They had a game that I think was a seven o'clock tip off, maybe for TV purposes. And they played Furman and it went to overtime. And so it went to like nine 30 or something like that. And you sign off the air and because it went to overtime, absolutely no one left early and it was a pretty good crowd. And so I'm in the parking garage of the curb center trying to get out. Like not an easy place to get out. Wait, wait, wait. And he's, and he's complaining. He he's technically, he's complaining about me because that was my only, that was my only game, my only broadcast <laughs> last year. And I was asking him for feedback as he's like trying to leave. And I was like, what, I, why, why is he trying to leave here? That, help me. What, what, yeah. that, that was Luke Smith making three free throws to tie the game with like five seconds to go or whatever. It was a fantastic basketball game, but it was the uh, best game of his season by far. Absolutely clutch. And it was a great game. You can blame me. You can be like this, this slappy sideline reporter guy won't let me leave the garage. I got to go. <laughs> you know, Braden, that broadcast is actually up for an award. So, you know, you clearly didn't bring it down too far. I don't know about that. He oh, man. You know, it was terrible. Uh, I was the worst part of that broadcast by far. Uh, Steve, thank you so much, man. You've been very gracious with your time. We're keeping you too long again right now. So thank you. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, best of luck. And, and hey, football season right around the corner, man. So. Have fun. Yeah, you bet, guys. I'll do it anytime. We'll see you soon. That was Steve Lehman of News Channel 5. And yeah, I thought an interesting sort of cross-section of TV expertise, Big Ten history. Um, he obviously worked in Oklahoma for a really long time and has now seen Nashville evolve over a decade. I, I, if I, 12 years is a long time. I did not realize he's been in the market that long. And I've known him for a long time, but you know, the last four have gone by pretty quickly. <laughs> so, no, he's he's a I thought he'd be a perfect voice to have to discuss the Big Ten expanding and what it means for TV. Uh, Lamus versatility is really is really uh, kind of incredible. I, I mean, I, I, I I've had a lot of fun listening to him on Belmont games here uh, this last year. I think he's done a particularly good job. It's fun to watch him. I mean, he even sort of grew into that, that like the more reps he was getting yeah. uh, on Belmont games. Uh, it was very good. But, you know, he's a very good sportscaster and and has done has done an excellent job. And we talked about with this with him and with with Corey uh, Curtis over at Channel 2, just sort of like the opportunities for getting on the air. And, uh, you know, they've done some they've done some similar sorts of things, kind of like building in half hour blocks yeah. uh, during the week where they can really sort of stretch. As opposed to you know those <laughs> those those two uh, those well, two and three minute uh, uh, newscasts where they're where they're you know hustling back from across town. Listen, I will make fun of TV guy question 
in, in most press conferences because they are looking for that one 15 second cut that they can use on their minute and a half broadcast. So I'll make fun of that all day. But what I will say to people in this market about our TV people, and we talked a little bit about it, how they're so collegial and sort of they're, they're, they get they get along very, very well. It's not nearly as petty as the radio blogosphere can get when those people are arguing. Um, shout out to like all of you the last couple of weeks, by the way, for all the pettiness that's happened across <laughs> all the different platforms. Um, <laughs> but I, what I think is interesting is they have so much more talent. And I will just say this personally, because I don't know if this is the case for every other market. But I have worked with Kayla Anderson. I have worked with Steve Lehman. I have worked with Corey Curtis and done radio shows with these people. I know Emily Proud very well. They could sit down. I've seen them all do it. And they can do a four-hour radio show with no notes, no computer. They can cover Nashville SC, the Titans, the Preds, SEC football, anything that our market cares about. They can do it with thoughtful, nuanced conversation without any notes right off the top of their head for four straight hours. No computers. I've seen all of them do it. They are extremely talented, smart, thoughtful, knowledgeable, and they don't. And TV just sort of like limits that to to two minutes every night. And I just I'm glad to see more of the 30 minute stuff. Um, and I I enjoy I always enjoyed working with Steve and Corey in particular because I worked with them more than everybody else. I, I could literally throw any question at them off the top of my head during a live broadcast, and they would have a good answer for it with good numbers to back it up. And it doesn't show, you don't see them do all of that very often. So I just want to make sure that TV people who get a bad rap as a, as a, as a term, I think in our market, I can't speak for other markets. We have very good people that are doing this stuff. Uh, very thoughtful people, very smart people. So um, just want to say that. Otherwise, what recommendations you got, Steve? So going back to a, an, an earlier discussion we were having uh, or trying desperately not to have. Uh, there, so there is... <laughs> There, there's a newsletter called Popular Information that I think we've mentioned on here before, but I want to I want to mention it again. Uh, it's a guy named Judd, Judd Legum. He comes from the, like the left side of. He's an unabashed progressive. He used to uh, be the the kind of the top editor at a place called Think Progress. He's also a really good reporter. And I, you know I, whether you're on the left or on the right, I, I think particularly in political reporting, there's a lot of value in people who do very detailed factual reporting and show their work. Uh, this is true kind of across the board. Uh, his popular information newsletter was breaking down the sort of 10-year-old story that we were talking about, sort of the, 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 ways that, the ways that people stepped in it. When factual reporting is the thing that we should be wanting, instead of kind of like taking a point of view and weaponizing part of a story, and so he details in in a newsletter which came out on Thursday, uh, you know, just this sort of thing, and kind of breaks down kind of like how the story was reported and kind of carries it through all sorts of different layers. It's a fascinating sort of read. Uh, but the thing that you come out of it with, what we need more of, in instead of like cable news uh, hits and uh, <laughs> national national uh, sites jumping into. Uh, stories that take a lot of reporting is we need more local reporting yeah. and because it's the local reporting that kind of just kills the story. It, it, it kills like the, the demonization around it. And in the, in this case, it was first, it was first reported by uh, the Indianapolis star and then confirmed by the Columbus dispatch, you know, the very uh, real details of the story and, you know, whatever your views on abortion, whatever your views on this or, 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 or yeah, you know politics or whatever else. The most important thing is to get it right, 
and if we're going to talk about things, we should talk about real things, and we should talk about them in uh, in real terms. And that requires less sort of shouting at the national level and more sort of boots on the ground local reporting. So if there's local reporting that you like, go support it. If there are local news outlets that are valuable to you, then pay for them. Totally disagree, Steve. I think we should weaponize the health and safety of our children uh, to to win likes. I'm sorry, Steve. I think we should. Twitter has spoken. <laughs> the health and safety of our children are good for one thing. Retweets. OK, yes, that's yeah, pretty much for. I don't want to hear this good local reporting boots on the ground good, crap. Okay. Good, good lesson, Braden. Good lesson. <laughs> uh, I'll be shameless here and, and make it a lot lighter because I don't really have a good recommendation this week. I SEC Media Day's coverage next week by 440 Sports. Uh, we have a sponsor. We've got Fringe Elements going to be there producing videos all week. So if you're an SEC football fan, make sure you check out. And I hope we do it differently than just everybody else in, in Atlanta. I will work very hard to try to do it differently. Uh, but we're going to tell the story of the kids. We're going to talk about SEC football, but make sure you check out the Fringe Element YouTube page and, of course, the podcast all week next week. A load of content for you guys from, from Atlanta. So, And lots of food I'm going to eat, too. I, I, one, one nugget here, uh, if, you've, uh, if you've made it this far into the podcast, how's Feinbaum been this week? You've been subbing in for Paul Feinbaum. I love doing it because it's like doing a, a podcast on a radio show <laughs> how with, are, with, with callers. I, I love doing it. Man, how, so. how are the callers, Paul? Uh, call Gall uh, is what they're saying now. I'm not sure how much I feel about. I'm not sure. Call how I feel. Gall. I'm not sure how I feel about that. That's but, uh, great. Yeah, that's what Feinbaum tweeted. I love that. Feinbaum tweeted yesterday, and I was like, uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Call Gall. Better call, call Gall. Gall. Call Gall. Uh, oh, that's great. We need yeah, to start like a, yeah. a campaign around Better Call Gall. All right. Okay. Well, when I run for office, we've already got a, a nice slogan, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> if you need your trash picked up, Better Call Gall. <laughs> If you need a road built <laughs> to the airport, oh. better call Gall. Awesome. Uh, I hate myself. Uh, okay, Steve, where can people go to sign up for good journalism? Uh, they can, you can go to nationalbanner.com. Give us your email. Uh, Demetria Caldimos is working on a, a really good story that um, will come out next week and may also uh, be someplace else. So anyway, I'll oh. tell you more about that later. <laughs> That was, that's very, a, that, that was very that's mysterious. A <laughs> that's a tease. That was mysterious. Go check that out. Go to Jasper's, of course, as well. Uh, over on West End, free parking. Great place to eat. Four Top Hospitality. All the great restaurants around Nashville. They do a great job. So go check out Amerigo, Etch, etc. Char, all that stuff. But Jasper's is the jam if you want to go have a good beer, watch a sporting event, maybe catch a Nashville SC match. Titans camp is opening up here soon. Football starts next month in the college world. So we are we, – we are – only a couple of weeks away from things cranking up in the football world. So it's going to be a ton of fun. So check all of the things out over at Jasper's for Steve. I'm Braden. Thanks for hanging out with us. Have a great weekend. Again, some different stuff next week, not an episode, but some hopefully some stuff for you guys on the feed. So make sure you share the product, share the feed. We do appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Lane Stream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network.